Eden, do you have any wine fermenting right at the moment? Uh, yes, in the back room. Little James, can you please take down that empty wineskin? Sure. Ooh, I feel a lesson coming. <laughs> Eden, when you last checked on the wine, what was it doing? What it always does at this stage. Um, sort of bubbling, popping out little plumes of air now and then. James, how does that wineskin feel? Uh, stiff, not very flexible. So if Eden were to put her new wine into that container, what would happen? I don't know. The old leather can't stretch anymore. The new wine would keep expanding and it would explode. And so new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. I'll be the first one to admit that. I don't, don't get it. The waves of the kingdom I am bringing into this world will not fit into old containers or frameworks. I love the way that the creators of The Chosen just kind of imagined Jesus not teaching that in front of a group of people, but maybe even how the first times he might have talked about it with his own disciples uh, might have looked like. And, and, and um, I, by the way, again, every Tuesday night through the first Tuesday of August, you can join us here. We watch an episode of The Chosen, and then we go to tables if you want to hang around and, and discuss. But that clip that we just watched right there is a really a creative uh, idea of maybe how Jesus talked to his disciples about the idea of wineskins that we are going to look at from Luke chapter 5 today. Now, we're in a series of messages where we're going through the book of Luke, and we're going section by section, and we're just trying to learn more about the life and the heart of Jesus. But the main point of what Luke writes through this whole book, the gospel of Luke, uh, is also the title of our sermon series, which is Luke, Jesus for Everyone. Now, what we're going to do today is pick up uh, where I left off uh, a couple weeks ago in chapter 5. But before we get to the scripture part of the teaching this morning, what I want to do is just start by having us imagine a little kid who just got a present in a big, huge box. Like, can you picture that? Or maybe some of you have seen that up close and personal. Um, little kid just kind of tears open the present, and they get the present out, and then about five, ten minutes later, you look over, and uh, instead of playing with that great gift that you just got, he or she, uh, instead, uh, if it's in my house, uh, the little man's playing with the what? Okay, good, the box. Okay, so it wasn't just me or my son or our, our grandsons. That's a relief. Do girls do this? Is this... Okay, there we go. See, we didn't have girls. I don't, I don't know for sure. I don't want to assume. But there you go. With, with our two grandsons um, and their birthdays, you know, sometimes, especially this last year, I've been just kind of tempted to go out and buy a giant box and been like, there you go, buddy. Happy birthday. You love that massive present? Like, of course I'm the greatest grandpa with a gift like that. Um, I kind of think that they would love it, but probably not their parents because, you know, boxes take up plenty of space. I remember uh, growing up, my, my dad, also very creative, so this must be where I got it. Um, uh, he came home with a, I think it was a refrigerator box, and uh, they, like, he cut the door in it, and, but it 
folded so I could get in and out, and there were a couple windows. Man, they put that thing, we lived in Minnesota, so there's a basement, right? So they put that thing in the basement. I think they got rid of me for like a month and a half, <laughs> just playing in the box. So, but there's something about little kids and big boxes, right? No matter how great the gift is, the present is, there's just fascination with the, the box, the container, the container. Now, at least in our house, um, that phase passed. I mean, by the ton, time my son turned 14, four, sorry, no, um, somewhere along the line. Eventually, that phase just stopped. But imagine, imagine if your 40-something-year-old husband or friend was still, at that age, all about the box. I mean, that'd be kind of weird, right? Like, uh, by the time they got to the gift and then set the gift aside, uh, but they just kept at 40-ish years old, marveling over the container, and they never actually paid attention to the gift inside the container. Wouldn't you be like, uh, hey girl, <laughs> the container is not the gift, right? The container is not the gift. I mean, the container, think about this, it's important, right? You need a container. Um, if you're lazy like me, you're glad for gift bags. That's like the laziest container. Um, but but, but when, when you need some sort of container, it can be important, right? The container's important. But the container's not the point. The gift is the point. The container's not the point. The gift is the point. Which caused me to think about just another way that this metaphor of containers can become a, a picture for missing the point. Because sometimes in our lives and in our worlds, especially as adults, a container can represent a system or a way of doing something. Like this happens all the time. There's a container, a way of doing something in businesses and organizations, even in churches. I mean, okay, especially in churches, right? Um, we need a way to get something done, and so that container or that system helped us get it done. That happens in your business. It's helpful in our homes. Um, and again, churches, like we do this. We, we do need containers. Sometimes that container takes the, the form of like a denomination. Sometimes it's kind of the way things are done, so the system and structure is part of the container. Uh, buildings are, you know, good as a container, um, but let's just stick to the building for a moment. Um, if a building's a container for ministry, is the building the point? Like, especially as it comes to a church, is a building the reason that we exist? We exist for the building. Um, and I'm really glad that that's not the case here. Uh, I have been around churches where you <laughs> might think that the building was what was being worshipped because all the attention went to the building. Uh, but thankfully, uh, around here at Hope, uh, 22 or 23 years ago, when that earlier generation of the Hope family um, started thinking about a container, they started uh, dreaming and giving and working and sacrificing. They actually built this building that we get to benefit from today. Um, but I'm sure back then, when they built the building, in fact, I know that the reason they built a building was not just to build a building. The reason they built the building um, was so that it could be a container, uh, it could be a tool where the Hope Covenant Church family could love and serve and use as a tool to reach people who needed the gift of a relationship with Jesus. 
those of you who've been around, would you say amen to that? Is that? Okay, just double checking to make sure I'm not way off here. I didn't check with the history, but I thought maybe if you've been around, right? Um, but the container, again, the container, it can be important, but it can never be the point. The gift is the point. And just like God does whenever he's stirring people, back then God stirred them, and they wanted to be a part of the new stuff back then that, that God was calling them to. They had to, many of them let go of kind of the box of church as usual if they'd already been in another church system. They had to become uh, a, a church of people who were tapped into the gift of being the kind of church where they were wide open about that truth that there are no perfect people. You would see that phrase again and again and again as I look back through the history of hope over the years. And, and, and they also wanted to make sure that at hope, that, that, that people knew that Jesus is for everyone, that you could come as you are. You didn't need to fake or pose or pretend and through the ministry of this church, um, throughout the years, hundreds of people, probably thousands of people, have been loved and ministered to, and many of those who have been loved and ministered to previously probably thought they were too messed up, um, previously thought, hey, there's no church that I could be a part of because of my life story. And I know that that's true for some of you here today, whether you're brand new or you've been here a long time, that you're like... Uh, before I showed up here, I wasn't sure if I'd fit into a church as I am. How many of you have had that experience here where you found a church family where you could come as you are? Did anybody here have that? Yeah, they see a bunch of you from different eras of our church. And I'm so grateful for that legacy of our church. Um, and having that legacy today um, required back then a bunch of leaders and the pastor letting go of church as usual, and discovering new containers, and I don't just mean a building container, I mean containers as the ways of living out the life of God together. And again, I'm so grateful that that is in our DNA, and it's who we are today, which brings me to thinking about us today. And today, if you're part of the Hope family, I'm speaking to you for a moment, Hope family, today, we can't be content to just play with a box. We today can't just be happy to have a container that's paid for because as grateful as we are for the container, we have to remember the container is not the gift. The container is not the life. The container, both of the physical building and the container of our systems and structures, the way we do things, the container just helps us give away the gift that we have. And the gift that we have is Jesus. It's Jesus. We, we get to give away the gift of the life that Jesus offers and the love that Jesus offers to the world around us. See, Hope Family, the Spirit of God is constantly doing new things. And if we want to be a part of the new things that God is doing around us today, we're going to have to be willing to let go of some old containers from time to time in order to make way for that new thing. Let me try saying it a little different way. Uh, Hope Cub, if, if we want to be a part of the new things that God wants to do in us and through us and around us, instead of just being happy with the old container and ways of doing things, uh, or, or just being content to once upon a time having had an impact, if we want to today 
be involved in that. We're going to have to let go of some old containers and make way for the new life that God is stirring. And if we don't, we'll miss out. We just miss out on what God is up to in his ongoing mission to bring healing and freedom and good news to every corner of our world and every corner of our city, every corner of our lives. There's good news for us. Now, Jesus had something to say about this in our next section of our study of the book of Luke. And so, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. Uh, We're going to pick up in verse 33. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's all right. It'll be up on the screens. And to set this piece up here, the scene that we're about to enter into, Luke 5, 33, um, it says that Jesus is talking with the the Pharisees. And um, those are the religious elite of the day who kind of looked down on everybody else who wasn't elite like them. And then he was asked by them why he doesn't have his disciples fast. Why why don't your disciples fast, Jesus? Uh, Verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, yours go on eating and drinking. And there's another verse past that, but just real quick here. Um, in case that fasting idea is new for some of you, just a quick explanation. Uh, what's fasting? Fasting is simply the, the practice of abstaining from food or possibly drink or maybe some other things for a period of time. That's, that's all fasting is. And it was a common practice. It is a common practice in many religious systems today, many religions, not just Christianity. Um, but back then, they were noticing that while Jesus was on earth, he didn't require his disciples to fast. Like, he didn't have a rule that they had to fast, unlike all the other religious leaders did, all the other cultures of his day. And so they were confused about this. They were confused, like, how come everybody else does the fasting thing? What's your deal, Jesus? In fact, if you remember, uh, if you've read this or been with us in the, in the sermon series, uh, you can read ahead or behind what, what had just happened before this segment that we're in. Um, what happened right before this confrontation is that Jesus um, was being complained about uh, by the Pharisees. They were, they were upset that Jesus was eating with and showing acceptance to these outcasts, these people that the religious folks just despised. In fact, these uh, religious posers called the folks they looked down on, they called them scum. Um, see, everybody was confused. What's Jesus doing eating with all these sinners and all oh, these downcast, outcast people? Um, see, they were really confused because you looked at other religious leaders and they sure didn't do that. Um, So they were confused, right? You're not making your people fast. And then Jesus, you're supposed to be a holy man. And none of the other religious people, they don't, you know, they don't hang out with, you know, those kinds of low lives, but you're doing that. So they're confused. And the reason that was so confusing, a big reason, was all these people that were encountering Jesus saw the life, the gift happen around Jesus. They saw the miracles. They saw the teaching with authority. They saw deliverance. They saw people set free. So they're going, this doesn't make sense because I see life. I see the gift. But they're confused by the container because they're looking at the system that he's not cooperating with. See, all their assumptions about a, what, a, what a good religious person would do and how a normal religious 
teacher would live, Jesus wasn't doing that. He wasn't doing the same old, same old. They were confused by the new thing that Jesus was doing. It messed them up. Like, because again, it didn't look like the containers everybody else was using. So what he did in response to their confusion is he told them, verse 36, this parable. It's actually two little stories. The first one is this. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. So just pause, a little explanation on that. Um, The way that Israel practiced Judaism back then, the way that everybody was used to, Jesus is saying, hey, I didn't just come to patch the religion with a new piece. He didn't come to just plug holes or fix the old to fix the familiar. Jesus, no, no, he comes as a gift to redeem, to offer something that seemed new. He wasn't here just to kind of add on something special to Judaism. He came to fulfill Judaism. Uh, N.T. Wright asserts that Jesus is saying, listen, you can't mix the old and the new when it comes to me and what's already here. (laughs) You got to take the whole thing or nothing at all. So again, they're confused. Then Jesus says, verse 37, and no one, here's the second story, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. And I'm like, I don't really care that much about the wineskins. What about the wine, Jesus? I'm just, anyway, sorry. Um, verse 38, he says, no, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Verse 39, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say the old is better, right? Like today we'd say, hey, you know, nobody likes, you know, two-buck chucks. If there's another option, you know, two-buck chucks, it's just too tart, it's too sweet, it doesn't taste right, it hasn't matured. That's what he's kind of saying there. Um, But he didn't have Trader Joe's. So, uh, all right, let's go back up here to verse 37, 38. We'll put that up on the screen. Um, Right here, Jesus is saying no one... Uh, I'm sorry, he's saying new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And I appreciate that chosen clip because he's like, still not sure I get it, right? Which is good because at its face, I think we have to sit with these things and wonder about these things and study the rest of Scripture to get a deeper look at the picture that he's painting, which is what I'm hoping that we can do today in the last half of this message. I want to highlight a couple ideas that I think will help us to consider what Jesus is saying here about new wine and new wineskins. It'll hopefully help us ask questions about following Jesus, especially if he calls us away from a container that we're familiar with and he calls us into something new or something different that we're not accustomed to because he doesn't always do that, but he often does. He often does. And when Jesus is doing something different, something fresh, something new, uh, in the picture of what he's given us here in the scripture, it's, it's like new wine. It's like a new wine. And um, in this passage, Jesus is saying, if you have new wine, you need new wineskins, right? You need new containers. So think about it. Back in that day, how they would have experienced this, um, rather than bottles, especially for common folk, um, Uh, instead of bottles, what you would do is you would make a container for the wine out of goat skins. They'd take the skin and dry the skin, and while it was still pliable, they'd sew it up nice and tight so you could put in 
wine. Now, what they all knew, because they lived in the culture, is that the old wineskins eventually got kind of inflexible, and they got rigid and brittle. So, um, if you put new wine into an old wineskin that was already kind of expanded and it was rigid, uh, the wine would ferment, and it would emit a gas that would cause the container to expand. But because that old wineskin was already stretched to its limit, that old wineskin would just crack and burst because it's brittle, and all the wine would just, you know, be wasted on the ground. So, that's why all of them knew this, right? You have to put new wine into new wineskins that still have some flexibility because new wine, new things, new life, require new wineskins, new containers. Again, this is kind of an odd parable, but Jesus uses this odd parable to challenge them because he saw how badly they as a people were missing the point. They had developed these containers, these systems and structures, and their systems and structures had become way more important than people. Their focus on the rules and, and the framework and how it's done actually was so rigid that they missed the people. Um, they missed seeing what people actually need. They kind of ran over people. They actually, by focusing only on the container and the rules, they actually missed the heart of God for them as well because they were just grinding it out to try and obey the law. And so, so if you think back to this scene where Jesus actually is speaking to the Pharisees and he's talking about the, the wineskins and they were confused, um, you know, I just wonder, so why? Why? Were they confused by his methods and his practices? Well, the reason they were so confused is because they had a way of doing things. They had a container that had been in existence for 1,400 years. The, the, the people of Israel followed the law of Moses for 1,400 years. So for centuries, they had developed, because they studied, they go, okay, let's interpret it this way, and different teachers would interpret it this way, and they would expand on it, because they did love the law. But the farther they started to expand on it, and the more they started to build things out, sometimes it was hard to look back in the container and see what was actually the original intent in the beginning. And so adding on to the law of Moses oftentimes resulted in really losing and missing the point. Because again, the law of Moses that they were originally given was a good thing. It was, it was from God. It was a helpful container in shaping them as they went from being slaves to becoming the people of God. Here's one place in the law of Moses that was helpful. Um, there was a reason behind it. The law of Moses in Leviticus 16 commanded them to fast one day a year on the day of atonement. Wait, how many days a year? Are you with me? How many? One day a year. There we go. Yes, we're there. One. Just one. Okay. Now, by the time, 1,400 years later, we, we get to where Jesus is, the religious leaders had added all kinds of other fasting days just to prove how holy and serious they were. So by the time Jesus arrives in Israel, it wasn't one day a year. It was one day a week. Was kind of normal, just baseline average practitioner of the religion, one day a week. And if you were really serious, you fasted two days a week. On top of that, 
when the religious elite men, because they were just men, you could only be an elite if you were a man back then, um, they made a really big deal of it so everybody would know how devout they were and how much better they were and more serious than everybody else. And so in that whole idea of the fasting thing, when they're asking Jesus this, Jesus is saying, in a sense, guys, you've lost the point. You've lost the point. The container is not the point. The gift is the point. The container of fasting had gotten so like built up upon that the gift of fasting, the, the reason behind it, the heart motive, the reason to fast had gotten completely lost. See, the container had started to become what mattered most to them, so that gift of fasting had gotten completely lost, which made me say, I don't want to go deep into this, but what is actually the gift of fasting? Is there a gift behind fasting? There must be, because it's supposed to be a good thing, and I sure don't like to fast, obviously, but uh, um, here we go. Fasting, the gift of fasting, the intention, the core behind fasting is that fasting helps me make room for God to fill my soul. So there's a good way to do it, but they completely lost the point. And Jesus, when he does this teaching, he's not condemning fasting, right? No, fasting is a good practice to engage in from time to time. I mean, Jesus himself knew the value of fasting. Like one chapter ago, um, he had fasted how many days and nights? 40 days and nights. So like he's not against fasting, all right? I mean, after a 40-day, I probably would be against fasting, but not Jesus, right? So us, uh, again, I don't want to lose the point here, but I just want to say we are invited, not commanded now, we are invited to fast from time to time as a spiritual practice as well. It's not a bad thing. But back then, Jesus is offering a huge corrective. He saw how complicated they had made it, and he knew that they, especially the religious people, that they had lost the point. They weren't trying to make space for God anymore. They were paying attention to the container of fasting, the rules of fasting, the pride around fasting, the looking down on others who were not fasting. They had gotten so focused on the container, not just of fasting, but of religion, as we'll see as we go through the book of Luke, so focused on that container of religion, the systems, the structures, the rules, the policies, the procedures, so focused on the old wineskin that they were completely missing the heart of God. And that was evidenced by how they treated each other, especially the more religious people. They were rigid and narrow and exclusive and judgmental and angry and divisive. They had missed the original purpose that God offered them as the people of God. For many, um, what was offered, that life, the fullness, the freedom, loving others, like all of that was kind of all but gone, really. And so Jesus comes to bring new life, new wine in the metaphor here. He comes to bring back that gift inside the container that he had intended for them all along the whole time. See, again, they'd lost the plot line. They'd lost the story they were invited into, focused instead of being on the journey of loving and serving and blessing the whole world, they gotten focused on the container of religion, and again, according to Jesus, they were missing the point. But, right, Jesus shows up, and just picture these people with that sort of history for a long time, and this is the way everybody did it, this is the way everybody fasted, this is the way everybody thought of religion. Jesus shows up, and, and they see miracles, and they see deliverances, they see 
people being healed, stories that we've been telling here where folks are set free by a touch from Jesus, people being forgiven. They see that, and people are just attracted to that. It's very appealing because they see the gift. They see the gift. They see the life, but they're confused by the container. They're confused by what they see as Jesus. They're confused about the new thing that Jesus is doing. It was messing them up didn't look like the containers everybody else was using. It didn't look like the containers they were all familiar with because everybody does it this way. Don't you know that's the right way to do it? (laughs) And so imagine being them. You've got this way you're going, and suddenly you see Jesus, and he's going a different way. And now you have a choice. You can stick to the old container. You can stick to that container, but miss out on the life you're being offered, or you can let go of the container and experience the new wine, the the life, the freedom, the healing, the love offered by following Jesus into a different story, a different story. So that's them. (laughs) And you know, I think... We have our own version of this dilemma as well, don't we? I mean, part of me understands, totally understands, like, hey, guys, I get it. It's hard to let go of a familiar container, right? Especially if you've put a ton of time and energy or even history and tradition into the container. It's still hard. Even when you peek inside the container and see, oh, the wine has gone bad or the wine has dried up, it can still be very hard to let go of that familiar, well-designed container, right? See, because we can get so used to and caught up on, on focusing on a container that we, we can miss, just like they, most of them miss, we can miss um, the next thing that God wants to do in our lives. And when we come to a crossroads like that, it, it's at times like that that we need to remember that the container is important. Yes, but it's not the point. Um, the gift, Jesus, is the point. And again, the container, we need containers. The container's not necessarily bad. There's containers that have helped us do amazing things in the past. But God is constantly on the move to do new things so we can reach this world and love this world and serve the world around us. He's constantly inviting us into new things that require us letting go of some containers. For us as a church, for us to grow into our vision, grow up into our vision of being a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus. To do that, we're going to need to keep walking with God, to be open to the Spirit, uh, to discern the wine being poured out, to see what the Holy Spirit's up to with us, which means listening and following. And when he shows us where to go, we follow Jesus where he leads and so as a church family, I'm just, you know, hope family, what I want to ask is for us to, to look for the places. Can we look for the places where the Spirit of God is stirring and be willing to let go of kind of, well, this is the way we've always done it. Because remember, the life is in the wine, not the wineskin. 
And new wine, new things, new life require new wineskins, new containers. And so as a church, if we want to follow Jesus into the life that God offers, if we want to be part of the new things that God is doing, we're going to have to be willing to let go of the old containers to make way for the new. But it doesn't just apply, this metaphor of wineskins, it doesn't just apply to um, church. Um, it doesn't even just apply to our spiritual lives, although it has a huge application there. I think it can play out in our personal lives as well. This metaphor of a wineskin in our personal life, in our work life, in our families, in our church, and yes, in our walk with God. So here's the question I want us to be asking God this week. Will you ask God, as I've been asking God, will you ask God what container you are clinging to? It's comfortable, right? It's comfortable, it's what you know that container can help you cope. <laughs> but is there something that you're clinging to that he's calling you to let go of so that you can make room for a new thing he's inviting you into? Will you ask God what container you're clinging to? And again, this plays out in so many different areas of our lives, but I'm just going to give you a few of those in my life to hopefully stir your imagination. Um, Here's the first one. Um, for me, one of the containers I've had to let go of is what a good family looks like, right? See, I thought a good family um, would be two parents married forever, having kids in that stable environment, showing everybody else what a good, solid Christian family looks like, which is a great container. It's a really good container. It's one that's amazing. It's one worth investing in. Uh, the problem is, though, if your family container shatters, like mine did, we can either sit there trying to cling to a container that's empty and there's no life there anymore, or we can ask God, okay, God, will you show me what you have for me now? Um, we show you what you have for me in this new season. And when we can do that, he walks us through a process like he did me, where bringing healing, even in the regret and the pain and the hardness, and I wish I never had gone through that in my life. Um, he's showing me, showing me how to love and do family in this imperfect, blended, broken family that I now have. And now I'm finding life in what is there now. It's a new container. It's a new wineskin, and it's been a huge gift. And some of you maybe have broken situations you've come out of, and you go, is there anything else, or have I just shattered that container, and I have no hope? The answer is let go of that container. Once it's shattered, it's gone, and ask God to invite you, show you what a new container would look like. Another example, second one for me, um, it's a container of what a successful church or ministry looks like, and and, you know, some of my, if you've been around and know some of my stories, some of you know the different types of churches I've been involved in, but what I thought successful church was, it was growth and big numbers and a slick Sunday production. Um, but the problem I saw when I was in that system was it seemed like we were making more consumers instead of disciples. We were making consumers that just wanted religious goods and services, not necessarily helping form followers of Jesus and uh, I had to let that go. I had to let that whole way of doing 
ministry success go. And instead, I learned that none of that stuff matters in church or in ministry. None of those energies, efforts matter if, if people aren't learning to follow Jesus together in a family and learning to love God and learning to love our world. See, that's the life that God offers through his people, through his church. And so personally, so no judgment on other kinds of churches. For me, I don't want a church container that looks cool on the outside, but if you look inside that wineskin, it's empty. So I've had to let go of that. And I'm loving what God's doing amongst us. I think it's a beautiful and real thing. Yeah, I got one amen out of it. Yes, with that guy, that guy right there. Uh, last thing, I have also had to let go of, and some of you, this will correlate for your kind of careers, but for me, I had to kind of let go of what it meant to be a, you know, this successful pastor, you know, the guy or the gal that everybody wants to hear you speak and buy your books and get advice from you. I had to let that go a while back. <laughs> and instead, what I have found in a new wineskin is that out of my own brokenness, failure, my own pain, um, now I actually get to be in the wine, if you will, of helping a few other pastors, you know, mostly not famous pastors, um, um, who don't just need tips and tricks. Um, what they need is what I need and needed to find the new wine, the life that God offers when you get too tired, worn out, discouraged, and you feel alone. And tell you what, like I get to do that actually for a few days this week. I get to go be a part of a small pastor's retreat with my pastor and help out uh, Dave Johnson um, for a few days during the middle of this week with some other pastors. And what I found, instead of that being famous thing, um, I found that it's an honor to be able to walk with people that way, to walk with pastors that way. Um, and it's way better than trying to look important. Now, some of you... <laughs> There's parts of your job where you are striving and posing and got to have it, got to have it, got to prove it, got to do whatever it is you think you got to do. It's exhausting you. Maybe just wonder, is there something God's saying instead of self-promotion, instead of climbing that rung to the next ladder or climbing that ladder to the next rung, um, it's God asking you to maybe see that differently in your job and lay down a wineskin or a system or a container that's even worked and looks really good and it's what everybody else is doing. Maybe he's calling you to something different. And again, those are just a few of the containers that I have had to re-examine and then let go of. There's more to come. I'm sure not done. Uh, I, I actually keep asking God to continually show me, God, where's the life? Where's your new wine flowing? And, and I want to follow Jesus into that when God shows me that. And what about you? What about you? What container might you need to let go of? What container? You know, some of us are going to have to let go of the wineskin of where we put all of our life's energies to try to find a fulfillment. You're going to have to let that go. The wineskin of what we do to try to feel good about ourselves, our success, our achievement, our status, our wealth. And maybe even that container worked for you for a really long time. But you know, as I'm saying this, maybe the Spirit of God is nudging your heart if you're open. That maybe it's time to let some of that go, and it's scary. But will you trust Him and let go of some of those containers? Some of us 
we're going to have to let go of religious containers that aren't actually biblical ideas. We have to let go of that stuff in order to discover the better thing, the new wine, the new life God wants to invite you into. And when I think of examples of that, it's really easy to find examples of like younger Christians that are just kind of gung-ho and off we go, they're ready to do the new thing. I've got a lot of those examples, stories, great stories that I could tell. And if um, I continue this theme for next Sunday, I'm going to tell some of those stories. But as I was kind of right in the ending of my talk, I thought, you know, new wine, I don't want anybody to think that new wine or the new thing is just a young person thing. It's not just a young person. God, often it is, but not always. And I thought of uh, Karen Gray. Where's Karen? Karen wave at us somewhere. She's like, did you ask permission? There she is hiding over there. She's hiding from us. No, she's not. Karen, um, <clears throat> she's retired. So when I say, there, there she's on the screen too. Um, but Karen, even though she's retired, she's not coasting. Like she's on fire for Jesus. Like, I look at Karen, I talk to Karen, I get emails from Karen from time to time, and they are so encouraging because she's telling me about these new places of life and ministry that she's getting an opportunity to thrive in that she would have never imagined just a few years ago. And one of those areas where she's experiencing new life is about what it means to do ministry. God started teaching her and stretching her understanding, her container of what really matters and who gets to do, you know, real ministry. And part of what Karen left was this old wineskin of what pastor or, or what a minister is when she started to actually trust what Scripture says about that topic in 1 Peter 2, 9. You've heard this verse because we talk about it and teach on it. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, we'll come back to that, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And one of the things we take from this passage that you will hear over and over here at Hope and in our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant, you'll hear this, that every believer, every believer is a minister. Every believer is a minister. So, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are invited into the priesthood of believers. There's no special, like, holier, higher class of Christian called pastor that's far more important than the rest of just the run-of-the-mill believers. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? So, but that simply means pastors exercise the gift of pastoring. And education, ordination, they're fine, they're good. But those are just containers and wineskins. And so here at Hope... Um, we teach that every believer is a minister. And I've watched our sister Karen minister and pastor and lead people. And one of the places she's doing that is in, in Reminisce, where she and her husband Bob and a handful of really faithful folks um, from Hope, they go to this memory care facility uh, two times a month to do a church service. And the care center staff recently said, this is the event that the residents there look forward to the most. I think that's saying something about what God's doing there. And in fact, I just love that our team, that team there, trusts that God is at work right there. See, they know that real ministry, air quotes, real ministry isn't big and flashing 
you know, cutting-edge productions, no real ministry. According to Jesus, especially what he says in Matthew 25, it's, it's serving the forgotten, the lonely, the marginalized. It's real ministry is, is paying attention to the folks that our society overlooks, and that's where Jesus says he is. That's where he shows up. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Now, here's a part of an email. Uh, that Karen <clears throat> sent to me this week. She'd done a, a sermon there, a message on God's limitless love at this little worship service at the care facility. And she said, the wife of one of the residents asked me yesterday, are you a minister? She got this wrong, but we'll correct her later. No, she said. <laughs> you can tell her yes next time. Then she asked her, Karen, have you gone to school? No. She said no. This woman shook her head, kind of surprised. Karen says, and thanked me for the message. Thanked me for the message, like it must have done something, right? Karen says, I smiled as I thought of sometimes how you, Doug, call me Pastor Karen, which I do. She said, then I thought of the disciples. They were just regular folks, but people took note that they had been with Jesus. That's what mattered, and that's what I pray for myself, says Karen. Imperfect as I am, as I spend time with Jesus, being with Jesus in prayer and reading the word, listening at church, as I spend time with Jesus, I know it will flow out. And right here, just think of the, the wine metaphor in the life. It will flow out, says Karen. And friends, that's, that's real ministry. That's real ministry. Can you imagine, she wrote, can you imagine me, a woman who spent 20 years in a cult, who was taught and believed so many incorrect things, me who lived in fear and terror and panic attacks, until Jesus finally began to deliver me. She said, man, I could have been a person drinking the Kool-Aid and dying, but here I am sharing about Jesus. And one thing I now know is that it's all and only Jesus. That's, friends, that's the wine. That's the gift. It's, it's Jesus. And Karen had lots of containers to let go of. But now she is a minister doing the ministry of giving out really good wine, the life of Jesus, wherever God leads her. Worship team, will you come? Friends, God is making new wine. The question is, will we surrender and trust Jesus when he invites us to follow him, maybe in a direction that seems new? Will we allow the Spirit of God to show us if we are clinging to containers, containers that can't or don't have real life inside? Maybe your container is about who counts and who matters when it comes to making a ministry impact for God in our world. But maybe your container is something completely different. Some of us are going to have to let go of the wineskin of success or achievement or status or wealth or people thinking you have a perfect family. And maybe that container, you know, worked for you. 
for a long time. But what you know as you walk with God is maybe you kind of know deep inside that even if it looks good on the outside, you know that it's starting to feel dry and empty and it is not giving you life. Some of us are going to have to let go of that. Some of us are going to have to let go of religious containers that aren't actually biblical ideas to discover the new thing, the new wine, the new life. God wants to invite you into it. And whatever it is for you, will you open your heart and ask God, even right now, to show you if there is new wine, new life that he has for you. Let's allow this song to be our prayer.